0: Amen. Good morning, Grace Hill. How are you? Good. Good to see all of you. Glad to be with you this morning and to worship uh, with you. Again, my name is Alan, one of the pastors here. So if you're new, i uh, love to be able to talk with you after the service and meet you. Same if you're joining us online. Thanks for joining us. Love to, to meet you here um, at some point. And so hope we also get uh, to connect with you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Exodus chapter 20. Uh, Exodus chapter 20. We're going to be studying one little verse there in Exodus 20, so we won't be in there long, but we'll be there in just a second. You know, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 18, um, there's this story about Jesus and this guy who's very wealthy uh, and he's uh, a ruler. Uh, amongst the Jews. So he's very well respected amongst the Jews. And so this guy approaches Jesus. I'm sure many of you have heard the story. This guy approaches Jesus and he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus goes, well, I mean, hey, you know the Ten Commandments, you know, uh, don't steal, don't murder, uh, don't commit adultery, Uh, honor your father and mother. And the guy goes, great. Jesus, I have done all of those things, like checked every single box. And Jesus goes, okay, okay, one thing you lack. Take all of this wealth that you have, sell it all, give to the poor, and come follow me. And the text says that his face fell and he walks away sad. And what was... What was what was going on there? Right. This guy was approaching the, the Ten Commandments, but really all of God's commandments in, in a way that I think many of us approach them of. Here's a list. The list is very specific. I got to check those boxes. And isn't that what God wants for me? But Jesus changed some things up there in that story because what Jesus did, he didn't create another box, which was sell all your wealth and give to the poor. No, what he did is he went right after this guy's heart. He went right after the very thing that this guy loved the most. And Jesus says, I want your heart. So I want you to take the thing that has your heart now, get rid of it, and I want your heart. And one of the things that we see in the Bible is that God is not after your rote obedience and box checking. He is after your heart. So like in Isaiah chapter 1, God is speaking through Isaiah to his people in Judah, and God is saying things like, Hey, your temple worship, don't care for it. Your singing, don't care for it. Your sacrifices, don't care. the, the, The festivals and the days and the feasts that you keep, I don't care. Why? Because you're not seeking justice for the oppressed. You're not feeding the poor. You're not going after the widows and the orphans. And people who give their hearts to me do those things. Or like in Isaiah chapter 29, God says something like, you honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. Uh, Psalm 51, David is repenting before God for his sin. And he says to God, God, you don't want sacrifices from me. You don't want me to go and do all of the temple regulations. What you want from me is a broken and contrite heart. Jesus, uh, Matthew 6, uh, he's teaching and he says things like, hey, when you give money, like don't give money so that everyone can see how much money you're giving. No, give it in secret because this is between you and God. Where's your heart? Is it to be seen or is it to worship God. When you pray, don't pray out loud in front of everyone so they're impressed with your eloquent prayers. No, go into your closet and pray to your Father in secret. When you fast, don't be like the Pharisees who would walk around and their face would be all contorted and they would be visibly suffering because they want everyone to know they're fasting. And Jesus says, hey, actually, put some oil on your face, freshen up, don't let people know you're fasting because your father-in-secret knows where where's your heart right and so in the bible all over the place i i quoted like 5% of it we see this clear value god wants your heart and from that heart comes obedience to all of god's commands and this feeds into how we've been going through this current sermon series that we've been in called for your joy. This has been a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, and we've been approaching these Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20 under the premise of these have been given to us by God because he loves us and he's after our joy. And we've also been approaching these Ten Commandments with the idea that God's not after just a very specific Commands that we see in each of them. He's after the heart behind each of these commands. And it's the same thing that we're going to see today in the sixth commandment. That's where we are. Commandment number six in Exodus chapter 20, verse 13. You're going to be very impressed with me. I memorized our entire sermon text uh, today. It's uh, four words in English, it's actually two words in Hebrew. Exodus chapter 20, verse 13 says, You Shall not murder. You shall not murder. Now, hey, if I was approaching the Ten Commandments like the guy who approached Jesus in Luke 18, I'm good, right? I checked the box. I, I to my knowledge, I have not murdered anybody. Uh, I have not taken another life. I'm grateful for that. I, I don't plan on doing that in the future. And so it'd be very easy for me to read, to say, yes, I've checked that box. I, I don't need to worry about the sixth commandment anymore, just like that guy who approached Jesus. Like, I'm good. I've, I've done all of that, Jesus. But what we're going to see in the scripture today is it's going to be very clear. and I'm going to walk you through a progression of scriptures in just a moment. That's going to show us that the sixth commandment is not just about murder, but the sixth commandment is all about what do I do when I'm angry at someone? What do I do when someone has offended me or hurt me? How do I respond to that? What do I do when I've got rage in me, hate inside of me? Because we all get those emotions and feelings. None of us are above that. And so the question we're gonna be asked is, what do I do when those feelings come? Look at this progression of verses with me. So we'll start in Exodus 20, verse 13. Right? It says, You shall not murder. Okay, we've got that. Matthew chapter 5, verse 21. Jesus makes my job a little bit easier today. He says in verses 21 and 22, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. Sixth commandment. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you, So King of kings, Lord of lords, the Son of God, I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So Jesus obviously takes this one command, you shall not murder. And he expands it like crazy, doesn't it? He says, if you even have anger in your heart towards your brother or hatred or bitterness, then you are now breaking the sixth commandment. Whoa. Well, well, well now I, I got to take that box I checked and I need to take my pencil out. I need to start erasing that, don't I? Go back to Exodus 20, verse 13, you shall not murder. One of the things you need to know is that this word for murder in Hebrew doesn't just contain or doesn't just uh, refer to premeditated murder. It also refers to murder from negligence or carelessness. So, so now I'm expanding out even a little bit more to, to understand that it's not just anger towards my brother or it's not just acting out on that anger towards my brother or sister, but, but it's also carelessness, negligence, being unaware of their presence and how my actions, my words, my presence might impact them. But then we get to Romans chapter 13, verse nine. Now we're gonna get some commentary from the New Testament on how we follow the sixth commandment. It says, for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. So a few of those 10 commandments and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so now what we have in Romans 13 is that the sixth commandment, it's not just about murder. It's not just about negligence or carelessness. It's not just about having the feelings of anger and hatred and bitterness in my heart. It's actually a call to love because that's how I follow the sixth commandment right? Is, is That's what the Bible is saying to us right now. So it's not just a command that says refrain from doing these things, but it's saying refrain from this and engage in this particular way, which would be love of neighbor. Okay, what's love of neighbor? 1 John chapter 3 verse 16. See what I'm doing. I'm walking you through a progression here, right? By this we know love. So how do I love my neighbor? Well, we know love because Jesus laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. And so now here's what I have is, it's not just about murder. It's not just about negligence. It's not just about having hatred in my heart. It's actually about loving my brother who's offended me and doing so through laying down my own life for him. And so now we've come full circle and here's one of the things we've realized That when it comes to people who have offended us, hurt us, when it comes to people that we feel hatred or anger towards, the call that's been put upon us is that our attitude should be one of, not that that person ought to lay down their lives because of what they did for me, but that I actually ought to lay my life down in love of them you can see we've just taken the sixth commandment using scripture and just blown it up. What do I do when someone has offended me, hurt me? What do I do if I have anger or hatred inside of me? What does it look like to honor God in those moments? And I believe that this command to love, especially applies to those people who have hurt us, offended us, to the people we don't like, to the people who we're angry with, the people that we feel rage towards. Why? Why does this especially apply to that group of people? Because, and 1 John teaches this, that is the very nature of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the message that we as mankind have offended God, rejected God, rebelled against God, committed violence against His kingdom. And yet, in response, although He had the right to respond, Through anger, the right to respond through casting us out forever, right to respond through judgment. But rather what he did is step in towards us in love, that Christ came towards us, invited us in, took our sin to the cross, conquered it and said, you can now be reconciled to me for all of eternity. Like that is the gospel message. People who've had offended a holy God and yet that holy God steps towards, not away. And so here's what 1 John chapter four says. Look at this. 1 John chapter four, verse 19 and 20. It says, the reason why we love is because he first loved us, right? That's verse 19. We love our brothers and sisters because he first loved us. Verse 20 though, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother or sister, he is a liar. For he does not love his brother whom he has seen. Sorry, for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. But what is, what, is, what is John saying there? What he's saying here is that our relationships with other people, so the mercy that we extend to others, the forgiveness that we extend to others, the elasticity we're willing to give in relationships, all of those things, our care, compassion for others, all of those things when it comes to our relationships are an indicator of our belief in the gospel, our horizontal relationships will tell you a lot about what you think about your relationship with God. The, the primary fruit of our belief in the gospel is born out in our relationships with others, especially those who've hurt us or offended us. So the reality is this, when we move Towards those who've offended us, who have hurt us, who we're angry with, who we feel hatred towards. When we move towards those people in love with the with reconciliation as the goal, it is. I want you to get this, it is a sacred and it's a holy act. Why? Because you're putting on display the gospel. This is what it is. This is the gospel people who have offended, hurt, violence against, the response is moving towards love, reconciliation, forgiveness. And we find the power and the ability to do that through understanding this is the nature of my relationship with God. Therefore, it can be the nature of my relationship with others. And so here's what I have. This is this idea of moving towards, moving towards, is a sacred and holy act. So here's what I have for us today. All right, as we think about, okay, what does that mean? What does that look like? What are the steps? I have three holy do's and don'ts. All right, we like to think of the Ten Commandments as do's and don'ts. All right, I have three holy do's and don'ts when it comes to how we move towards people who have hurt and offended us. Now, let me say this before we dig into these. I understand that when it comes to many of our relationships with people who've hurt us or offended us, there is a lot of complexity wrapped in there when it comes to things like abuse and physical harm, sexual assault, all those kinds of things. So I get there's complexity here. I'm talking about today the standard everyday conflict ways that we hurt each other, offend each other, in in small ways and in great ways, okay, okay? But when it comes to some ways in which we are hurt or offended by others, I actually think that all three of my steps here today apply, but you need a lot of help. And we're going to dig into that just just a little bit. But what do we do when, when someone's offended us? How do we step toward them in a holy and sacred way? How do we put the gospel on display? And so I have three holy do's and don'ts. So here's number one. Number one is this. You're gonna be surprised. You're gonna be totally surprised. Ask what is going on inside of you and don't let your ego stop you. This is step one. These are gonna be steps. They're gonna build on each other. Number one, ask what is going on inside of you and don't let your ego stop you. When you feel anger, when you feel hurt, when you feel rage, when you feel hatred, bitterness, right? Those are emotions that are in you and you can't snap your fingers and make them go away. It won't work. You can't explain them away. You can't use logic to make them go away. They are in you, therefore you must deal with them and respect them. You can't just say I'm going to walk away from those. I'm going to stuff it. I'm going to shove it into a under the rug. You can't. They are inside of you. You know, there's these two moments with Jesus in the gospels I'm so thankful for. They've they've really helped me grow in this area. Two two things that I've I've struggled with these two moments with Jesus. In both of these moments are Jesus becoming overwhelmed with emotion when logically he shouldn't. It doesn't make sense. John chapter 11, right? Uh, Jesus has a friend named Lazarus, brother of Mary and Martha. Jesus gets word he's sick, he's about to die, he's far away. Jesus says, I'm going to wait and not go now because I have a plan. So he waits, Lazarus dies. Jesus then journeys over to their house gets there. Mary and Martha are like, Jesus, if you came earlier, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus says, I have a plan. There's a reason why I'm doing this. God's going to get glory through what I'm about to do. What was Jesus' plan? His plan was to let Lazarus die and then resurrect him and then say to everyone, I'm the resurrection and the life. I'm the one who has the power to defeat death. That's Jesus' plan. He wants to put the gospel on display. So nothing is happening that's outside of Jesus's control and nothing is happening outside of Jesus's plan. Yet they open the tomb and he's standing next to Mary and Martha and they see Lazarus dead. And what does Jesus do? He weeps. Why? Why does he weep? Why is he overcome with emotion? Because he's human and death is awful. And Jesus saw the pain of death there in Lazarus and his two sisters. And he's overcome with emotion. It doesn't logically make sense, but he's human. Second thing, right? Garden of Gethsemane, uh, just hours before Jesus is arrested to go to the cross. And Jesus has been, he knew, this was been the plan from eternity past, That he was going to come. He was going to rescue sinful mankind. He was going to offer himself as a sacrifice on the cross and take on the sin of the world. And he was going to go into the grave, but he was going to defeat death and be resurrected. And he was going to purchase for himself the church. And he was going to be glorified. And he was going to be with the Father for all of eternity. Jesus knew the plan. Jesus had been telling people in his ministry, this is the plan, Nothing was happening outside of his control. Nothing was happening outside of his plan. And yet he's in the garden sweating blood because he's so anxious. And he asked God the Father for another way. He asked God for a different way. Why? Because he was human, fully God, but he was human. That was inside of him. And he went to his Father in prayer. I grew up believing that if you were overcome with emotion, any emotional high, any emotional low meant you were immature. You couldn't handle what was ever before you. And I was wrong. Because that's not how God designed us. That's not how God created us. We are not more emotionally mature than Jesus. Right? I think he can get us on the emotional maturity route and yet he still had moments where emotions inside of him overwhelmed him and he's the God of the universe. And so maturity is not the absence of emotion. Maturity actually is understanding what is going on inside of you and the impact it has on you and the impact that it has on others. And I really believe that one of the spiritual disciplines that we need to start to learn to get good at in the church today, and we need to stop fighting against it, is this spiritual discipline of stopping and asking the question, what is going on inside of me? What am I feeling? Why am I feeling uh, embarrassed about sharing what I'm feeling to others? Because here's what happens with emotions, if we choose not to deal with them, or we choose not to explore them, is we either react or we stuff. One of those two things is going to happen. And if you're angry, you got hatred in your heart, rage in your heart, you're either going to react, and it won't be in love, or you're going to stuff. You're going to stuff it deep down. And when we do that, you give the enemy a foothold, and it's an infection. And we think we're good. We think we've dealt with it. We think we've dealt with it until something brings that memory up or something happens and the bitterness has been infecting our body, and it will come out. And so what I believe we need to begin to do is the practice of stopping, asking what's happening inside of me, offer it to God in prayer like Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane, invite trusted brothers and sisters in community, tell them what's going on inside of you, get their advice because what they're going to do is help you discern what's going on Is it connected to this, whatever happened that offended you? Or is it connected to other stuff that you're importing in, right? Because these are complex things. So, we're going to help you figure out what's going on here. And then, how do I then step forward in faithfulness to God and in love of the other person? So, listen, stopping and asking the question, what's going on inside of me? Having respect for what you're feeling. That is a holy act of laying yourself down in love of the other person. When you're angry and hurt and bitter to stop and go, before I deal with them, I'm going to deal with me. I'm going to ask what's going on. I'm going to invite friends in. That's a holy act of laying yourself down in love for others. So that's the holy do and don't number one. That's number one. All right, so here's, here's number two. Holy do and don't, number two. And these build on each other. Trust God's process and don't gossip. Trust God's process and don't gossip. Now remember, these build. So we gotta, we gotta start with number one. We got to figure out what's going on inside of us, and then we go into what does God's word say? What is God's process in this? And God has a process that He has given us, and it goes totally counter to what we would automatically do. What's God's process? Verse uh, Matthew eighteen, verse fifteen. There's, there's a whole process here. I'm just going to read the first step of the process. Matthew 18, 15 says, if your brother or sister sins against you, go and tell them their fault between you and him alone. Go to them. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. You've gained your sister. God has a process. We first need to do the first step, right? What's going on inside of me? And then we need to move towards them. A holy act of love, that is not easy. It is not easy to move towards someone to go and have that conversation when you've been offended or you've been hurt or you have anger in your heart. The reality is, is when Jesus came here, he didn't come and ignore our sin. Jesus didn't come and say, let's just take the sin and all of the offense that we've committed against God and let's ignore it. No, Jesus came to deal with it. And we have a God who, when we sinned against him, decided to draw near instead of pulling back. In my 14 years of pastoral ministry, I have seen this, people refusing to engage in God's process, for all kinds of reasons, I have seen that literally fracture, deep friendships, communities, churches all together i 've seen it here at grace hill i 've seen it at other churches that I have served. Uh, an offense occurs, something happens, and there 's a person who is legitimately hurt, legitimately offended all right it, it wasn 't okay what happened. But that person who was offended or hurt just would not follow God's process. And, and what happens so many times is they think they're preserving community. They think they're preserving relationship by saying, what I'm going to rather do is sweep it under the rug. I'm not going to deal with it. I'm going to pretend everything is fine. And by doing that, then I preserve our relationship. I preserve our community. But that's not what happened. Because you're not respecting what's going on inside of you. And the enemy will respect it. And he'll grab that and he'll create a foothold of bitterness in your heart that will get harder and harder and harder to deal with and to reconcile. And what happens is, as that begins to go, you still need that release valve So what does that release valve come of that bitterness and that anger because you won't go to the other person? It's gossip. And most of the time it's civilized gossip, right? It's gossip in the form of talking about how to care for that other person or prayer requests or gossip in the form of just between you and close friends and you're trying to talk about what's going on. You don't have any intention of going to the person. So it just becomes, I'm gonna talk about this person because I need a release valve, To get this stuff out of me. But God has a process. Go to the other person. It's totally counter to what we would do naturally or instinctually, but it's the gospel way of dealing with it because that's exactly what Christ did for us. We offended and he came to deal with it, and he didn't brush it aside. So it is a holy act of laying yourself down when you take the risk of going to your brother and sister who has offended you. It is a holy act. All right, so step one, gotta figure out what's going on inside of us. Step two, we gotta trust God's process in this. Step three, the the holy do and don't number three, is we need to show grace and don't seek vengeance. Show grace and don't seek vengeance. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 19 says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Never is a pretty easy word to interpret. Never. You don't need to do it. But leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord. You know, I think sometimes our biggest hang-up with this, our biggest hang-up of doing step one and asking what's going on inside of me, or step two, trusting God's process and, and moving towards someone, or, and even just the whole idea of when someone's offended me, what does it look like for me to actually move towards them in love? I think our hang-up with all of that is we're like, man, but I just don't want them to get away with it. I I just don't want them to, for some circumstance to happen where I go to them and they don't feel the weight of what they did. And they don't feel the consequences of what they did. And no justice is going to happen and they're not going to change and they're not gonna feel the need for change. And so what happens inside of us is we get this subtle desire for vengeance because we want to make sure that they understand what they did, they understand the consequences and that they are going to change. And we feel the need to control that process. We feel the need to step in for the Holy Spirit when it comes to doing the work of conviction. And we feel we need to step in to do the work of the Holy Spirit when it comes to doing the work of sanctification. I believe that that's our role. And so what happens is we just develop this subtle desire for vengeance. And the way that that will normally come out is we will subtly pull back from a relationship just very subtly. And so when we see them, we might say hi. We might pretend that everything's fine. But our eye contact isn't as warm as it used to be. When we get into conversation, I don't ask as many questions anymore. I'm not as curious about their life. Maybe I'm actually pretty short in my answers. Maybe we used to hang out or we used to spend time together and I've kind of pulled back from that. And I've used other excuses for my reasons. You know, life is busy. You know how things are we just kind of subtly pull back. We allow the relationship to gain some distance. And our hope, I think deep down, our hope is that by doing so, the other person will all of a sudden feel a wave of self-awareness and they'll realize what they've done and that that subtle vengeance would have convicted them enough to figure that out and come to you and repent and apologize and deal with it and then come to you first. You know how I know that's the way it works? Because that's what I do. That's what I do in my marriage. You know, there's an offense between you and your wife. It happens in my marriage, all right? I offend her. She offends me. It happens. But what happens is I just, there's a subtle distancing of relationship. Let's just Let's just pull back. Let's let them feel the weight of what they did. And maybe they'll come to their senses. And I'm stepping in as the Holy Spirit in that moment. I'm taking his job when it comes to the work of conviction and the work of sanctification. And here's the deal. Our entire faith, like... There's no Christianity without the idea that when we fractured the relationship with God, he moved towards us and didn't distance the relationship. Like that's the entire faith. If that doctrine's not there, there's no gospel, there's no salvation, there's no Christianity. Our entire faith is the idea that we fractured a relationship and God stepped towards it instead of distancing himself from it. And so it is a holy act of laying yourself down to let go of your need for vengeance and to show grace by moving towards that person. And grace doesn't mean that we don't deal with what happened. Matthew 18, step two, very clear. Go tell them what happened. Tell them how it made you feel. Tell them the the, the consequences. Tell them the, the impact that that had. Grace doesn't mean we shove stuff away or we ignore stuff. Jesus didn't ignore our sin. He dealt with it. And so grace means moving towards, dealing with what happened, and not allowing what happened to distance the relationship. So what do we do when people have offended us, hurt us? We're feeling anger. We're feeling hatred. We're feeling rage, frustration, bitterness inside of us towards other people. First, we got to figure out what's going on inside of us. We got to do that. And that's hard work. And that's work that you often need other people to help you with. All right. We're we're just, at least for me, guys, not mature enough to do that on my own. Number two. Blank down number two, right? We gotta trust God's process. We gotta do what God has told us to do. Hey, move towards them. That's what God did to us, move towards them. Trust God's process and don't let bitterness set in and gossip to begin to happen. That will fracture an entire community apart. And three, we need to show grace and allow God to be the one who takes care of vengeance and justice not allow this to distance the relationship. You know, you might have been wondering or noticed at least that for this entire series, after every one of our sermons, after one of the commandments that we've taken communion together. And the reason that we did that, the reason why we said we want to take communion for all 10 services where we study the 10 commandments, and the reason is, is really two reasons. The first one is I want a reminder every single week to you that these commands are for your joy. If you remember in Exodus chapter 20, all the way up in verses 1 and 2, what did we learn about God when he gave the 10 commandments? The text says that God comes to his people and he says, you know, I am the Lord, your God who rescued you out of Egypt. And what we've been reminded is that before God even gives us commands, he moves towards us. He rescues us from our sin. He establishes reconciliation. And then he says, here's how I want you to live. It's not the other way around. It's not here are your Ten Commandments figure out those. If I see you do good, then we can have a reconciled relationship. That's not what it is. So I want a weekly reminder for us that at the table, this is where reconciliation happens with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. It is not through you following the 10 commandments. And the second reason why we wanted the table up front every week while we study these commandments is because it's at this table that we find the ability and the grace and the power to follow these commands and to see that these are for our good and they're for our joy. It is only through understanding the fact that you have a God who moved towards you. You have a God, you have a a savior who allowed his body to be crushed under the wrath of God in your place. And you have a Savior who allowed his blood to be spilt to cleanse you from your sin so that you could be reconciled to God. He moved towards you. And it's only in trusting in that reality do we find the ability to do that for others who offend us. So what I want to do is I just want to invite you to come forward this morning and Take of the elements and be reminded of your Savior. Be reminded of the cross of Jesus Christ because that's where the ability and the power to do this is found. And you might be here this morning and going, man, Alan, I've got a lot of anger in me. I've been really hurt and I don't know how to deal with it. And what I want you to hear from me this morning is that matters. What's going on inside of you matters. You need to respect it. And there is ways of dealing with it and it might be a long, hard road, but we want to walk alongside of you in it. It's the same thing I said last week. There's complex situations connected to this. And I can't address them all from stage in a a global fashion and so Again, like our elders, our pastors, we invite you. We want to walk with you through those things. We want to help you figure out what's going on inside of you. We want to help you process all of that because that is in you. And God cares about that. And we'd love to start just by praying for you. So if you're in that spot this morning, just two ways that I can invite you up to pray. I I just invite you to come up and and kneel on the stairs as we are taking communion together. And you don't have to say anything, but we'd just love just to pray generally for you. Or we'll have prayer ministers up here after the service as well. If you'd like to talk with them and get prayer from them that's more specific, we'd love to do that. Or shoot an email in. All of our emails are in your bulletin. We'd love to be able to meet with you and to guide you and help you in that. And so I'm gonna pray right now. Band, if you want, you guys can come and and make your way forward. I'm gonna pray. And then I'm just gonna, whenever you're ready, I just, if you need to come up and pray, if you need to sit in your seat and pray, just wanna invite you to the table. And I want you to be reminded of the cross. And let's just take a few moments to respond to the word and to respond to our savior. Let me pray. Father, first of all, we all come together right now and we just want to say we are so thankful that when we offended you, you drew near to us. That when we fractured the relationship, you found a way to make the repair. That when we felt like there was nothing that we could do that would ever give us hope of being right with you. You did the very thing that we thought would be impossible. And so God, we just want to sit in that truth that our entire faith is built on the reality that when we fractured the relationship, you moved towards us in love, you didn't distance And God, we want the ability to do that in our relationships with people here. And it's hard. It's really hard. And so God, I just pray in all of our hearts this morning in very specific ways. I know there are people in this room who are in different spots and in different ways they need your Holy Spirit to infuse their hearts with a belief in the gospel a security in your love that will give them the courage to begin to figure out what's going on inside of them and love people in the way that you've called them to. So Holy Spirit, I just pray right now you would do work in the hearts of people as we pray, as we sing, as we respond, as we take communion together. In Christ's name, amen.